I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. In recent weeks, we have just begun studying this book together. <clears throat> Today, we find that we are in verse 20. We'll look at verse 20 through the end of the chapter. Solomon, the primary author of these words, has given us a, an introduction, a preamble in verses 1 through 6, and he's told us that the purpose of the book is so that we can know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight. <clears throat> now, this is that word wisdom, as we said, means skill in godly living, and we know that it's godly living because he makes the point in righteousness, justice, and equity. The book is primarily addressed uh, to the youth. You'll see that, give knowledge and discretion to the youth. So um, this is particularly, not, not so much children, a little older than that, but would be young people of marriageable age. You'll see a lot of the topics discussed require a little, uh, a little older uh, young person, but it's for those that are simple, and simple means you're uncommitted. You, you, you're still at that crossroads. You haven't, you haven't decided exactly what path you're going to go down, and it's to give prudence to that group. But it also is for the wise, as you see there in verse 5, let the wise hear and increase in learning. So you say, I've, I'm committed to the Lord, but I want to grow. I want to grow in understanding. I want to grow in wisdom. This book is for you as well. The key to the entire book, and in fact, the key to wisdom, is in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Uh, when it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning, it doesn't just mean it's the starting gate. It means it's the foundation. It's, the, it's that groundwork. Everything else, everything else you know. You can have all the knowledge in the world, and if it's not based on the reality of God, it will be misused and ultimately misunderstood, and it will lead to your destruction and to harm in the, of the community and of others. We see in the verses we looked at last week, verses 8 through 19, the importance of children listening to the instruction. Uh, very interesting that you'll see in ancient culture how often children are told to listen to their father. But you notice in the Old Testament how the mother is also given that role, father and mother. And it is not just a responsibility upon them to teach. It is a responsibility upon the children to listen and to learn. <clears throat> notice that it's not just something that you are to receive, but it's something you're to retain. Verse 8, you receive it. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, retain it, forsake not your mother's teaching. Uh, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. It's not just enough to have, a, have parents that teach you when you're growing up. When you become an adult, you need to not forsake it, not trample it underfoot. And then the father... Um, gives this scenario, he paints this scenario of temptation, of how sinners are going to be trying to, to, to entice you to follow them. And the real goal of it is, look, come follow us, be a part of our gang, be a part of our group, our clique, 
and you can have all the money, all the precious goods of the world. We can fill our houses and all you have to do is take it from somebody. And in the process, you get the joy of spilling blood, which is shocking that humanity could have fallen so far than be so perverse that it would take pleasure in, in the killing of another human. But that's what these sinners are enticing the young to do. And the father says, don't walk in their way, verse 15, hold back your foot from their paths. And, he, and he, he comes finally in verse 19 to say, such is the ways of everyone who's greedy for unjust gain. It's going back to the 10th commandment. This whole scenario is a painting of, of that thou shalt not covet, that we need to guard our heart. What, what do you really want? What really matters to you? And as the Bible says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, that when we are thinking that what is going to make our life is the abundance of possessions, how much we have, he's saying ultimately the judgment upon that is it takes away the life of its possessors. So people who are greedy ultimately who think that their life is in, consist in the abundance of possessions, they lose their life because life is not found in that. It's found in the fear of the Lord, the reverencing of God, the knowing and hearing His Word and saying, I may not know everything I need to know about life. There are lots of different opinions out there, but for me, as for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the context that we're in. One more thing I want to say that's interesting. Do you notice you have the Ten Commandments and it's God laying out His law. But there's something I want you to hear. Part of being made in the image of God is that you not only hear the law of God, but you're given explanations of why it matters and what the results are if you choose to ignore that law. Um, one commentator, Matthew Henry he made this beautiful point. He said, that's the difference between an animal and a human. And I thought about it. I tell my pets, don't get on the sofa, or I tell my pets that they need to go here or go there or not to pull on their leash. I don't sit there and have a five-minute discussion and say, now, here's, here's some reasons you shouldn't pull on your leash. I don't explain it. I don't instruct them. I just lay down the law. Isn't it an amazing thing? God does not treat you in that way. He knows you were made in his image. He doesn't just tell you his law. He tells you why. And we as reflectors of that, we're to instruct the next generation. All right, here's what happens when we turn our backs on the law of God. And I think we can all say with great confidence, we are living in a land that we are going to sow to the wind and we are getting ready to weep, reap. The whirlwind. We will see what it's like to turn our backs on wisdom and on the revealed truth of God. With that as an introduction, I invite you to look at verse 20 and to stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing 
and fools hate knowledge. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we hear in there that you say that if, if we will turn at this rebuke, that you will pour out your spirit. Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, We acknowledge we cannot receive these words. We cannot get their spiritual meaning. We can't even care about them apart from you taking our our hardened hearts and making them tender and soft, fertile soil upon which the word of God can fall. So we ask you, Spirit of the living God, to fall fresh on us, to melt us, to mold us, to fill us, to use us. Would you join me in making that prayer a song? Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. In Jesus' name we pray, and together God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. We see in this passage that wisdom is in a battle. Wisdom is attempting to have her voice heard. Throughout these 
nine chapters that form the prologue of Proverbs, we see wisdom and folly competing for loyalty, competing for the loyalty of our young people, competing for the ongoing loyalty of the wise who desire to increase in their learning and understanding, competing for the loyalty of the simple who've not made a commitment, who are gullible, who can hear these siren calls of the world and and can see all of the flashing lights and say, that's what I want. And wisdom is trying to, to have her voice heard above all of those competing voices. We notice this in verse 20 and 21 when it says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the markets, She raises her voice at the head of the noisy streets. She cries out at the entrance of the city gates. She speaks. That's the introduction. This this interlude in all of uh, these first nine chapters, there are two interludes where all of a sudden, uh, Lady Wisdom, notice she's a she, Lady Wisdom will begin to speak. She will begin to call out. You notice this is not some sort of, all right, let's just have a dispassionate academic analysis of life. Notice it says she cries aloud in the street. This is wisdom who is not afraid of being embarrassed. She's she's not trying to to just uh, to be calm. She's, She's wanting her hearers to realize that what she's talking about is serious. That, that, that what she's talking about really matters. And that above the din of all of the voices of the world, she wants to cry out because she wants them to listen. So here, wisdom, she's not waiting quietly. This is a lady. She is, she is shouting. And she is raising her voice. Literally, when it says she cries aloud, it's the same word used in Genesis 45 too when it says that Joseph wept aloud. So there is the sense of emotion in it. It is a cry. It is not just a shout. It is, it is filled with pathos. It is filled with emotion. She wants you to listen. It's the idea of deep human distress. This really matters. This is sacred. This is serious. Pay attention. One commentator described her very aptly and very beautifully, and I want to quote him at length. This is what he says. Lady Wisdom is no gentle persuader. She shouts, pleads, scolds, reasons, threatens, warns, and even laughs. Pulpit bashing, and hellfire preaching if there ever were. All quite unladylike. And nowadays also quite unfashionable. Even frowned upon. I think one of the, the ongoing temptations of Christians is wanting to be respectable in the eyes of the world. Wanting to, to fit into the norms and the convention of the world. One of the things about the conventions of the world is don't get worked up about much. 
Try to, try to just, don't become a fanatic about anything. Lady Wisdom is, she is fanatic and she is frenetic and she is raising her voice and she says, this really matters. Listen to me. Notice as it says there, she cries aloud. She is, she is uh, raising her voice with, with deep pathos, with deep human distress, and she's doing it not inside four walls like we are today, but she's doing it in the street. This is a public address. This is meant to be a contrast to verse 8 where it says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. The primary place for the, the raising up of wise, godly people is in the home. But it's not that wisdom and the fear of the Lord is some sort of private matter. It certainly is personal, and it is so personal that it begins in the kitchen, and it begins in the hallways of our home. But it is also what is true at home is true in the street. God's truth is true at church, and it is true in the court. It is true out on Main Street, and it is true wherever there is a person who is thinking about the meaning of life and right and wrong. Wisdom is in that place. We need to imagine Lady Wisdom as a corner preacher. Many of us riding down Main Street in Mount Airy, right there at that corner, we've seen uh, lots of people standing there preaching. We've had young men of our own who have been street corner preachers right there. That's what you need to imagine, that standing there at the corner of Main Street in Mount Airy is Lady Wisdom, and she is raising her voice in the street. And in the market, she raises her voice. Notice it's not just in the streets, but it is in the places of commerce, the marketplace. She is in the place where you go to work. You can't say, you know what, my faith, that's just, it's a personal thing, but how I do my business, that's completely separated from my faith. Lady Wisdom is there. She's as we're driving our cars down the street, she is where we go to work. Notice again, in the markets, what's she doing? She's raising her voice. And then it says at the head of the noisy streets, that, that idea of the head is the highest place. She, she finds the highest wall, and she is on the top of that, over the street, and she is from that spot crying out. And then it says, at the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to us, but the entrance of the city gates, as you read through the Old Testament, is the place where the elders would gather. It was the, it was the forum of discussion. It was the court of the city. It was the place where deliberation would take place about all kinds of issue, uh, all kinds of issues. And it is into that place. So what we see here with Lady Wisdom is that she has gone into the public realm. She has gone into the streets. She has gone into the places of commerce. And yes, she is even in the courts. The courts of public opinion. She is in the courts of official legislation and of enforcement and interpretation of the law. That word there for cries aloud is the word tarona. 
And it's, it's a, a word that bites, is to give you the idea that, that, that here, that this hook, that here she is with Tarona. It is, it is that sense of that, that deep down calling, listen to me. It is a passionate pleading. This is so strange in a, in a world of, of just utter silliness where we spend hours and days and we just think that life is just really a very little weight, very little significance. It's just checking emails. It's just thinking about lunch. It's just trying to make sure that we don't rock the boat in our relationships. Just trying to get by. Pay our bills. Keep your head down. Lady Wisdom acts like something way bigger is at stake. Will you listen to her? Will you listen to her? So she's out. She's out and about. She is in the public realm. Faith. Truth, they are personal, but they are not private. They go into every corner and every facet of society. And she has raised her head again, and she is calling. She is making an urgent appeal. We now notice then verses 22 through 27 are her sermon. This is her sermon. This is what she is preaching. This is her message. And Then in verses 28 through 32, we're going to see her reflecting upon her sermon. Notice just subtly how the the book of Proverbs makes or uh, identifies, distinguishes between them. Notice, for example, in verse 22, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? It is a direct address to those that She is preaching too. But when you come to verse 28, notice it becomes indirect. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me, but will not find me. It goes from I and you to they and me. There becomes this distance. She's reflecting on the sermon that she's preached that has gone unheeded. So what is wisdom's sermon? What is she calling us to hear and to do? Well, let's look at it together. Verse 22. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? This, these are the congregation the simple ones, the scoffers, the fools. But, but, but primarily, she's talking to the simple ones and she's, she's threatening them that they're going to fall off, if not careful, into that, those two categories from which there is almost no redemption, the category of the scoffer and the fool. She says, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? This is an urgent appeal. When she says how long, it's indicating that this wasn't the first time that she's ever spoken to them. This was not the first time that she came and says, there's a a godly way to live. 
When the fear of the Lord means that you trust His word above the word of man. You trust the word of the Lord Jesus Christ more than you trust the word of the pundits on television. You trust this word. And, and so there's been this period of time and she's basically saying you've not been listening. How long is this going to go on? Some of you teenagers, you, you know that you are here today because your parents expect you to be here. But Lady Wisdom is saying, when are you going to come to that point that this is your path? You are no longer simple. This, this idea of simple ones, it's the Hebrew word for open. It means they're open to everything and committed to nothing. That they're open to the possibility that there's going to be a better path. That there's going to be some great offer from the world that will satisfy, be more satisfying than the fear of the Lord and the path of following his word. How long? When she describes these simple ones, the idea of the how long is that these are overgrown simpletons. These are, these are the, the, the young men in their 20s who just won't grow up. There's a failure of spiritual launching. They are gullible. They'll take anything, believe anything, and they're uncommitted. They don't want to make a commitment. They don't want to make a commitment to the Lord. They don't want to make a commitment to a job. They don't want to make a commitment to a wife. They're easily misled. That's why it means they're simple. You can come and you can, you can just point them in a direction. And if they see the lights and they think it will meet something, they don't think about it. They just follow. They're overgrown simpletons. They're gullible. They're uncommitted. They're easily misled. But notice this. This is so important for us to get at the heart of this condition of the simple. Part of the uncommitted, why is he preaching to this? Why is she preaching to this group of uncommitted? Because they're still the ones who could, could cross over. They're still the ones who could follow. They're still the ones who could hear her and heed her. And so she's, she's pleading with them. But notice this. She doesn't just say, you know what? You're simple because you don't know any better. You made a few mistakes. You've done some wrong things. Notice what it says very clearly. How long, O oh simple ones, notice the wording, will you... Love being simple. Oh man, this is the spiritual diagnosis that runs from the beginning to the end of Scripture. Our problem is not that we do wrong things. Our problem is that we love wrong things. Therefore, we do wrong. We love the wrong things. Jesus said he didn't come into the world to condemn the world because the world was condemned already because the, 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 the reason the world loved darkness. They loved darkness because their, eeds, their deeds were evil. We, we, we don't just do bad things and go, oh, I hate doing that. We love doing wrong things. This is the problem. The heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. We have a heart problem, not just a behavior problem. And she's calling out and saying, you actually love being uncommitted. 
You don't want to commit to God. You don't want to commit to a path with your life. You love it. How long will you love that? This idea, this word love here, is a strong desire that compels you, that drives you. They go after being gullible. They go after being simple and uncommitted. They run after it. They chase after it. They'll do anything and everything to keep from becoming firm about anything. This is to contrast with chapter 2 where the very same word here for loving being simple is we're to, we're to love God. We're to chase after God. We're to seek God. We're to hold fast to God. We are to yearn with passionate desire for him. One Bible commentator puts it this way when it says that these simple, that they love their being simple, he says it means they yearn with passionate desire to remain uncommitted and open to alluring sin. With a passionate desire to remain uncommitted, uncommitted to God, and open to alluring sin. Throughout Proverbs and even in the Psalms, we notice that the progression into sin is just that. It's a progression. Um, we are, are all by nature sinners. We're born sinners. We have a heart that is rebellious by nature, but we don't all start out as hardened sinners, you can still get a child's attention if you start early enough. But there is an end of the line. And the end of the line in the Old Testament, if, if starting out as simple, being uncommitted, and just kind of loving the way you naturally are is where it starts, where it ends is in the category of scoffer. Scoffers are the end of the line. They're put second here, but this is the person whose heart is stone-cold hard. Uh, this is the person who is the antithesis of the wise. They are completely closed off to learning anything. They have decided on their own version of reality, and nothing can get through to them. It's said that the mocker or the scoffer may have wit but not wisdom. Oh, heaven help us. We're a land of people that think that those with wit are worth following, even if they have no wisdom. We admire wit. The person who can say that cutting word that person who knows how to put everybody down, but they are strangers and enemies to what the Bible calls wisdom. This is the hardest place. You know, Proverbs 21, 24 says, Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. Proverbs 24, 9 says, The devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. McCain, commenting on this, says no one earns more universal detestation or deserves it more than he who wears a perpetual sneer, 
who is incapable of deep loyalty and reverence, and who supposes that it is his mission in life to promote the corrosion of the values by which individuals and society lives. Notice again with this scoffer, how long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? This is the word of delight is, is the word of craving it. Have you seen those people, particularly scoffers against God, against the Bible, against Jesus Christ? Have you seen those scoffers when they can, they can find some weak spot in your life or, or some apparent contradiction or something that they think is foolish about Christianity or the Bible? And how when they say something, they really enjoy it so much, they enjoy the laughs of the people that, that hear their cutting remarks, they crave it. They crave it. They want more of it. They think it's delectable that they can hold nothing as sacred and take nothing as serious. Let me just say, this is the worst. Uh, these folks, and praise God for grace, but people who become scoffers, I fear they are the ones that have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. They're the ones that Jesus would say, shake the dust from your feet. You know, I, I, I know you know this when you talk to people. There are people who, they just, they don't know. Maybe they're not, they're not followers of Christ. They're just kind of in that simple category. And we talk with them. But let me just tell you, trying to talk with a scoffer, pray for scoffers, but talking with scoffers seems to do no good. They can hear nothing. Their whole goal is to sneer at everything. The category in between the simple and the scoffer is the last one, and it says, and fools hate knowledge. Fools hate knowledge. The fool is not yet the, the open scoffer who loves to mock at everything, who, who is per, delights in making fun of what others hold to be sacred and serious and whose entire mission in life is to, to, to undermine wisdom. The fool is that middle ground. They're not simple. They're not uncommitted. They actually are committed. They're committed to their own opinion. And it's an opinion that flies in the face of the established Moral order received through the revealed truth of God's word. What does it say in Psalms over and over again? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. If there is no God, there is no law from God. There is no right, there is no wrong. It's all relative. Live however you want, do whatever you want. The fool is committed to that. A fool sees knowledge in ignorance, usefulness in harmfulness, when this particular word, there are multiple words in Proverbs for fool, but this particular word means a blockhead. It, it, it means adult, an oaf, uh, one who's deaf to wisdom. They're, they're just not thinking. They've, they've turned off the switch to their brain. They may not sneer at everything, but they hear about a God, and they hear about truth, and they hear about wisdom, and they just go, ah, I don't think so. They lack wisdom. They despise discipline and correction. 
They do not have self-control. They're hot-tempered. They're morally insolent. These are the markers of the fool. So these are the ones that are being addressed by Lady Wisdom, particularly the ones who, who yet have to commit, the simple ones who lead out her, her call, her, her address. But notice in verse 33, she makes the call. Verse 23, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. This is an Old Testament version of Jesus' message. You remember when Jesus, he calls his disciples, he goes out and he's preaching. You know what the first word out of Jesus' mouth is? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Greek, metanoia, and here this word, tashub, and in, in Hebrew, and, and it's, it's a call to turn away, not just a physical turning, but a physical turning that symbolizes a change in your heart. So, so let me just say today, God is not saying to you, you know what, get your whole life fixed up and then, then you can be a Christian. He's saying to you today, do you recognize you're on the wrong path? Do you recognize that trying to live a life of doing it your way? That, that, that trying to make up your own rules and your own right and your own wrong to, to, to figure out after God has clearly declared what truth is, to try to figure out your own truth, this is true for me. Do you, are you hearing wisdom calling out and saying, no, there is knowledge, there is truth, and you're not following it? If you hear that right now, she is telling you, change your mind. You need a change of heart. You need a change of thinking. And you need to say, okay, I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to listen. Notice she puts this in a hypothetical. If, if, if you turn at my reproof. I can't make you turn. Parents, you know you can't make your child turn. You might could get them to obey to a certain age, but, but turning is an issue of their own heart and their own mind. And that's what God is calling us. Is there something in your thinking, in your life today, you need to say, you know what? I've been trying to do it my way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Have you been following your own path? Well, God is right now. I mean, we heard it. Did, didn't we hear it when Ed read it? Today. Today is the day, right? That, that means this age from, from, from when Jesus rose to this very moment. Today, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, is the day of salvation. The door's open. The ark's door has not been yet shut. You can come in. You can at this moment say, Lord, I was wrong. I was living according to the dictates of my own thoughts. I was living according to the counsels of the world. I was living according to what my friend said was cool or, or what was right or what was the thing, the way. But instead, I will fear God and believe that His word is truth. I believe I, I was wrong. I turn from from my unbelief of you and your word. Let me tell you, 
If you come to Christ and you say, you know what, I'm, I, I have made a, I've made a mess of my life. If you come to him, he will not cast you out. He won't. He won't. I've seen people in their 70s say, I lived my whole life for myself. And in their 70s say, you know what? I was wrong. To turn away and in faith to turn to Christ. Notice she makes a promise. If you turn at my reproof, which means that this sermon, if I'm preaching in line with God's word, it should feel stinging. It should feel correcting because it is a reproof. She says, but if you turn at this reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. We, we, we need to understand that ultimately salvation is of the Lord. We are called to repent and believe, but but repentance and belief is empowered in people who love darkness. It's empowered by the Spirit of God. So as you are believing, we also know that it is because wisdom is pouring out the Spirit upon us. God is pouring out His Spirit upon us. And when the Spirit is poured out upon us, notice what happens. I will make my words known to you. The Bible is a closed book. To many, not because they maybe have not read the words, but because they cannot grasp the meaning, because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Do you remember Jesus? What he cries out, just like Lady Wisdom? It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this was said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. We live in the time after Pentecost when the free and permanent gift to the people of God is the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God helps us to know and understand the Word of God and always points us to the Son of God who is our only hope, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose job is to reveal to us the Father. So we, we come, if you want to come to wisdom, it's not just coming to, to somehow these really great thoughts. It's coming to the person in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, even Jesus Christ himself. And he says, if you'll come and you'll drink of him, you'll come to him and you will take him in by faith, he says that out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. I, I don't know about you, but I just am amazed at the destructive power of Satan. You see it in families with children that they heard and they rejected. And their lives just go down a path 
of increasing death and increasing destruction and pain. Wisdom in the Old Testament is is setting the stage for for the Lord Jesus. and, And he's calling you right now. He says, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Can you imagine? He's promised if you come to him, your sins will be forgiven. Not in part, but the whole. He's promised that he will put his spirit in you. And that will not only uh, 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 help you to understand scripture, it will give you power to increasingly fight sin. He's promised that when you die, that you will go to be with him. He's promised that on resurrection day, he will give you a new body, that you will live forever with him in new heavens and new earth. Now, let me just tell you, to hear, and oh, and by the way, it cost you nothing except your pride. That's the only cost. Give up your pride and take him. It's, it's, it's a gift. Let me tell you the definition of refusing that offer. Insanity. It's utter insanity. Why would anyone refuse an offer of life? Refuse an offer of forgiveness. Refuse an offer to live in new heavens and new earth where righteousness will dwell. Where all of the sin and the filth and the wickedness and the violence and the death and the disease and the divisions of this world will be forever removed. Where the lion will lie down with the lamb. Where Jesus has said, behold, I am making all things new. Why would anyone refuse the call of that Savior? It costs you nothing except to come, to admit I was wrong. I turned from that and I turned toward Him. Notice in verse 24, her sermon continues. It's almost as if she waited after verse 23. She asked them, who wants, who wants to come? Who wants to follow? I, I feel like Noah. I feel like Noah. I've been a pastor 26 years. I've preached and preached and preached. And I've seen just a handful. She says in verse 24, because I have called and you refuse to listen, I have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded. Because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. Notice what, what's the word because? She's giving you reasons. God does not bring judgment upon us. That we do not deserve. You notice, I mean, isn't it interesting? What does it say? It doesn't say, you know what? You didn't know any better. And you just kind of accidentally made a couple mistakes in life. And you're going to get judged for that. What does it say? The wages of sin is death. You are not going to be punished for something that you were not. And that you did not do. It will be your nature and your sins for which you will pay. 
And she's saying here, here are the reasons, right? I, I, I called you, but you didn't listen. I stretched out my hand. Just look at Jesus. You can see him there in Matthew saying, come unto me. Come unto me, all you who labor. I talked with a man on Friday. And I was saying to him, I said, please, please come to Jesus. I've known this person since I was 12. And I pleaded one more time. The Apostle Paul calls it in 2 Corinthians 5, imploring, begging. I mean, it's almost embarrassing, shameful. But you, when you love and you care, you want people to, to not have their life stolen, not be killed, not be destroyed, but to come to Christ and live But if you will not listen, you will not come to the stretched out hand, you ignore all of their counsel, you spurn that counsel, and you would have none of the reproof that God's word brings. Let me tell you, if you come to church and you think that the Bible is meant to confirm you in what you already know and how you already behave, you're not receiving the word of God as it is because all of us like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to our own way. Every week we should say, you know what? There's something in how I think. There's something in how I live that needs to change. There's something in my attitude that needs to be different. God, help me. God, help me. But here it says you would have none of that reproof. Here's here's what happens. Verse 26. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm... And your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. Boy, that sounds harsh. It sounds harsh. This is not, this is the laughter of victory. You know, I don't know about you, but we should, when we look at our world, it looks like, it looks like to every natural glance, it looks like evil's winning. It looks like Satan is going to be victorious. But he isn't. God sits in the heavens and laughs at the plots of men. Psalm 2. And here on that day when judgment is brought down upon those who refuse to listen, then wisdom herself will laugh. The laugh of victory when right defeats wrong, when there is that reversal of fortunes, when good will triumph, when God will triumph, when the good God will triumph, when wisdom will triumph over folly and over ignorance. Wisdom rejoices in turning the present upside down world right side up. When wisdom overturns folly and righteousness ousts wickedness, when knowledge overcomes ignorance, when humility topples pride and life swallows up death. Let me just tell you, we, we, we read the Bible and we don't like the idea of judgment, but if you come to a book like Proverbs, which is about daily life, And right out of the gate, he's saying, let me tell you, you choose to ignore God and not to fear him and not to follow him and his word. There's coming judgment. This is a wake up call. She's doing everything. She's not just saying why they should do it. She's telling them what will happen on the day when they do not. There will be a catastrophic storm. 
we know that when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, it will be a day where he will be marveled at by those who believe in him. But it will be a day of great terror for those who heard year after year, century after century, as the gospel of grace was preached, as it was said, today is the day of salvation. The storm has not yet started. The door to the ark of salvation is open. Come in, come in and be safe. Not realizing that the clouds of God's wrath were over that ark. And on that day when God says enter in and he closes the ark. There will be people outside and they will be saying. Oh let me in. Let me in. I, I don't know why. I, I, I cannot for the life of me understand. But we live in an age where people say. I don't want you talking about judgment and and about hell, and about being separated from God. But let me tell you, you do not love people if you do not tell them what the ultimate consequence is. And we do not say it with any joy in our hearts. We say it with fear and trembling because we know that, but for the grace of God, that's exactly where we would be. Notice verse 31. Or verse 29, it says, Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Isn't that amazing? The only fruit you're going to eat is what you planted. Judgment is getting what you deserve. As we always say, judgment is about justice. You get what you deserve. The gospel is also about justice. But it's that Jesus took what you deserve. Will you eat the fruit of your own way? Will you get the fill of your own devices? Or will you take the gospel where there is one in your place who receives your sin and your punishment? She ends with this final warning for the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. Just one point, and this is the point. Decisions now affect our eternal future in a decisive and definitive way. There is no second chance after you breathe your last. This is it. I mean, do you understand this moment? If you are uncommitted to Christ, do you understand this moment is of e what you decide now is of eternal consequence? People say, you know, who you marry, that's a big decision. That's going to affect your life. Will you hear the word of the Lord? It will not just affect your life here. It will affect your life forever. And when you have breathed your last here, at the throne of grace, there are no, at the throne of judgment, there are no more opportunities for grace. Not because God's not good. He's giving you one, a chance right now. Follow him. Your decision now can affect your eternity. And if you will not, as it says, the simple, they are killed by their turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. He's just, he's just telling you, you, you continue down this path, this is where it's going to end up. 
We do the world no good by acting as though Christianity is just about trying to live a little better life here. It is ultimately about standing before God to whom we must give an account. Final verse, verse 33, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. That's just her final, her final reality. Look, here, I've painted the picture of everybody who rejects, but, but if you listen to me, if you listen to Lady Wisdom, who is opening the door for us to listen to the one who is wisdom, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll dwell secure. What does the Apostle Paul say in every one of his letters? Grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came on a mission not to destroy the world. But a mission to reconcile the world to the Father. That you would dwell securely. You would have peace. This means if you have peace with God. Then you can have peace in any circumstance in your life. Because God and being alienated from Him was your biggest problem. And it has been settled and solved by heeding the voice of God's word in the scripture. You'll be at ease without dread of disaster. What a beautiful reality. When you fear the Lord, you are freed of every other fear. You can just walk through. You can walk through anything. You can walk through any disease. You can walk through any catastrophe. You can walk through any war. You can walk through any political unrest and you can be at ease because you and your life you heard what does Jesus say the wise man hears my words and builds his house upon the rock would you pray with me father I pray that we would hear Christ there's a storm brewing there's a storm brewing and it's, oh, it's not one of the world. It is the righteous God who finally says, enough, enough, enough to the killing, enough to the lying, enough to the stealing, enough to the arrogant, enough to the haughty, enough to the blasphemers, enough. Oh God, I thank you that before that enough, we can still hear Jesus saying, come to me, run to me, flee to me. If you come, you listen, you can dwell in safety. You can be at ease. You will not dread any disaster because the one thing that you needed to fear has now been made right through my sacrifice the fear of God now has become the love of God. A love that is given to us through mercy and grace. So Lord, would you right now, Lord, I just, I ask you to do what I cannot do as a preacher. And that is, would you touch hearts in this room? And if there's someone young or old, Lord, I don't even know what category. Maybe they're even a scoffer. Maybe they're a fool. Maybe they're simple. But God, you can overcome that. Would you overcome it right now? And 
and help them to turn, help them to listen, and help them to find life in the face of Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray, and together God's people said,